All right, good morning, everybody. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast on a Tuesday morning. Wiz, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing uh, doing well. It's a cool, cloudy uh, morning so far today, but uh, there's still NFL action that's taking place every day. Giants uh, made a big move uh, with a signing on the offensive side of the football, and then today they made one on the defensive side of the football. So I thought we'd uh, talk about the... Uh, that a little bit and the NFC East in, uh, in general and see what's going on with that division. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about in the NFC East. I actually, you know, I'm a Giant fan and uh, I, I follow these teams probably, I mean, I follow the whole league very closely, but there's extra scrutiny on this particular division. It's always been a, a significant division of strength in the NFL last year, you know, when Wiz and I, which by the way, a year ago or so, we, we did start this podcast, and we're having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. Um, I was actually looking this morning, Wiz, believe it or not, a year ago today um, is when the stock market hit its absolute bottom. I think the Dow Jones went down to 18,000. It was one of these days where the market was down well over 1,000 points. It was a complete freakout. Um, we, were, we were in the you know, complete throes of, of, of the pandemic, and uh, it was a year ago today, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, but anyway, so there, uh, before we get into the NFC East, though, actually, I thought there was very big news this morning, and, I, and I'd like to kind of talk about it, just because you have a big change just in general, what's going on with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you know, you and I talked a lot about Todd Gurley last year. We thought he was kind of kaput, and he basically showed us that. The, the backup cast of running backs, whether it was Brian Hill, um, Never really got going there. They, they, they're just, just not a solid group of guys there. But they make a signing this morning, which I think is quite interesting. And, and given the relevance of, of, of Arthur Smith that's going to be, become the uh, uh, coach for the Atlanta Falcons, we know what he's done with the offense in Tennessee, uh, surround, obviously around, uh, centered around a player like Derrick Henry. But they make a signing in a guy like Mike Davis, who had a fantastic year last year, uh, subbing in for Christian McCaffrey, who missed most of the season with injuries. For a 28-year-old player, Mike Davis doesn't have a hell of a lot of mileage on him. He was a player that was well-liked by Pete Carroll when he was in Seattle. He was a backup with the Bears. And last year, you know, backing up McCaffrey, ended up having a top-10 season for running backs. We know the usage of the running back position in Carolina, and now he goes to a to an Atlanta Falcon team, which really doesn't have a hell of a lot of running back talent. And I know he's 28, but I'm curious your thoughts on you know what could happen here. I I would suspect that the offense of the Atlanta Falcons, which has been very pass heavy over the last few years, gets to be a little bit more balanced in terms of run pass offense. I think we saw that when Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman were, were the running back tandem here. So I'm just curious you think, and, I, and I'm guessing that Atlanta actually goes out and probably drafts somebody in the later rounds at the running back position. They could even sign someone else. But I'm curious your opinion of, of, of the signing of Mike Davis for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, Mike Davis is a good football player. Mike Davis has played well wherever he's been. Uh, and, and last year, that was really emphasized when he had a chance to start um, a lot of the season after McCaffrey went down. So he's a he's a rock solid football player. Is he? Uh, you know, does he? He, he does everything well. He's not an elite runner. He's not an elite speed. He's not an elite pass catcher. But he's good. He checks all of those boxes. He's rock solid. 
Um, and, you know, it lends itself to, you know, kind of, you know, thinking that, yeah, you know, they're going to take a quarterback, a rookie quarterback there. And uh, you know, we're not sure how it's going to play out with uh, Matt Ryan this year. But you could be guaranteed that Matt Ryan is not going to be with the Falcons next season. So they signed Davis to a two-year deal. And uh, he's a rock-solid uh, running back to have, especially uh, – if you have a rookie quarterback, which certainly will be the case at this part of next season, um, at, at least. And, and so, I mean, in my, in my opinion, I don't think Gurley comes back. I think I think Todd Gurley has shown us that he's finished as a football player, quite frankly, especially an effective one. Um, so I don't know if another team does take a chance on him. But, you know, as I mentioned, Ito Smith, the kid Allison that was there, Brian Hill, they all had a crack at doing something here. I, I, I do think the Atlanta Falcons, if Mike Davis – is in fact comes into the beginning of the season as the number one running back. That's a player that could give you probably solid, solid value um, in, in, in your fantasy football drafts for the upcoming season. I agree with that. Uh, he, he's just a, he, he's just a solid player, and he catches the ball so well that you know if you're in a league that is a PPR league, he really has uh, good value, and he's not one of those flashy type of players, and he's not one of the names you think of right off the bat when you think about elite fantasy running backs. But he's certainly a good player. He certainly shouldn't be overlooked, and uh, I certainly won't be looking past him. Uh, when it comes, uh, you know, drafting for next season. All right, good stuff. All right, so let's let let's get into the NFC East here a little bit. So, uh, and, and I I made no bones about it last year. I, I thought Kenny Galladay would be the number one receiver in fantasy last year. That was uh, an incorrect statement um, as uh, injury took over. And I know you had a lot of questions around that injury, whether how hurt he really was, uh, knowing that he was potentially not going to be resigned by the Detroit Lions, which. Ended up being the case. You know, when you take a little bit closer look at what Kenny Galladay actually did in just five games, he was actually on his way to a pretty big season from a fantasy perspective. He played five football games. He caught 25 balls for 477 yards and three touchdowns. And then he got injured and we never saw him again. So uh, was he on his way to a tremendous season? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, injuries or whatever ended up taking place, Kenny Galladay never stepped on the field again. And now he becomes the number one receiver for the New York football giants. Uh, you know my feelings on Joe Judge. I think Judge has got, a, you know, a very strong team. Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator, um, which, yes, there's a lot of question marks around him as a coach in general with, with his Dallas Cowboy days, but he's got a lot of experience in dealing with number one wide receivers. You know, the rest of the receiving core, obviously, uh, Sterling Shepard is here. Definitely some concussion risk with that player. Darius Slayton, who took a little bit of a step back. We thought he would have a better season than he did. He started off on the right foot, but didn't finish that way. And the big question is, how much did the Barkley injury affect the entire offense and kind of what the Giants wanted to do? Because when you look at Daniel Jones's numbers, and I know you're not a huge Daniel Jones fan, uh, but Daniel Jones was running a relatively conservative offense as the year wore on. If you look at his numbers, turnovers were still a problem, 11 touchdowns, or 15 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, still some fumble issues, uh, a couple of flash games where he played well. But generally, the giant offense was, was fairly conservative last year. So... I, you know, right now, I, as much as I love Kenny Galladay as a player, my guess, especially if you're drafting here in the New York metropolitan area, there will probably be a little bit of an overpaying for a guy like Galladay. And I guess the big question is, can Galladay achieve the same type of success 
which he achieved with the Lions in 2018 and 2019, both thousand-yard receiving seasons. Can he do it here with a quarterback that's very much in question right now? And I know you and I both agree, and I know I know how big a fan you are of, of Matthew Stafford, but we know that Matthew Stafford and Daniel Jones are not in the same conversation. So, so how are you thinking about a player like Kenny Galladay at this juncture? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, Kenny Galladay is a different type of receiver. Like, he's not Stephon Diggs. He doesn't have, like, that short area quickness. He's not the elite route runner that Diggs is. Not many people are, but I'm just, you know, using a a player comparison. He's a physical, strong receiver that even when he doesn't appear to be open, you throw him the ball. He He has a tremendous ability to come down with those 50-50 balls. He either catches most of them, draws pass interference penalties. You throw him a ball, and, yeah, he'll get open, but he's a different type of receiver, and I think it's going to help Daniel Jones to have that um, type of receiver. Certainly it's going to help when you just add a Kenny Galladay, but to your point that you brought up, and I think you're right on the money, is it all starts and ends with Saquon Barkley um, because you could, you know, surround yourselves, surround your team with with terrific receivers, but if you can't run the ball, if you can't put yourself into downs where the other team doesn't know if you're going to run or throw it, then you become predictable, and no matter who the receivers are on your team, it becomes uh, difficult to throw the ball. So Saquon Barkley is an elite player. He has to stay on the field. He also has to channel his inner Nick Chubb and watch Nick Chubb highlights a little bit where he doesn't have to try and turn every single carry into an 80-yard spectacular touchdown run or leap over every defender. Sometimes you have to live the fight another day, take a two-yard gain. Don't take these plays where it's either going to be like a spectacular run or you're going to lose four or five yards, which a lot of times happens in the Giants find themselves in second and 12, second and 14. Saquon Barkley's got to take sometimes what the defense gives him He's got to learn that, but most importantly, he's got to stay on the field because when you look at it, he's the best offensive player in the division, So, um, and he's one of the best offensive players in the league. So agree with you completely, the success or lack there of success will fall or, or rise depending on the availability of Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I guess the one thing here is you know, Jason Garrett, if we go back to his Cowboy days, right, where uh, let's look at the last few years where, you know, he had, you know, he had Dak Prescott. He had the great running back in Ezekiel Elliott. He had receiver. Well, they had brought Amari Cooper in. Uh, obviously, they didn't have C.D. Lamb at the time. Uh, but Michael Gallup evolved into a thousand yard receiver. So there's a lot of comparisons when you when you look at the offensive personnel on paper of the Giants right now. And they, by the way, the Giants added Kyle Rudolph to, to Evan Ingram. So so there is talent across the board here. I guess the big concern for me is you know we're now three years removed from Saquon Barkley's rookie season. Right? He's basically missed. Half of 2000 and, uh, 2019, and he missed all of 2020. So, uh, you know, there's going to be some question marks where last year coming into the draft, if you remember, a lot of people thought, well, Saquon's going to be, you know, it, there was some debate whether you take Saquon or Christian McCaffrey at the number one spot. Now, granted, injuries really attacked 
um, a lot of the frontline uh, running backs in 2020. But Saquon Barkley has a tremendous amount to prove here. I mean, he is he, he is not his career is nowhere near complete. And while he did a number of fabulous things as a rookie, we have not seen him on the football field for the last basically the last two years. No, that's that's it. that's exactly right. You know, but the thing is, you know, they um, they they signed also Devontae Booker, who runs hard, and Wayne Gorman played well last year. So if Saquon Barkley can lead the way, and those other guys, and Booker has shown that he gets in there and you give him the ball five, six times, eight times a game, um, you keep Barkley fresh, you keep Barkley healthy, you do, you try and do the best you can and mix in those other guys, I think the Giants have something there with that running game. And um, and then with the with the signing of Kenny Galladay, that's going to help the, the, the you know, the, the, the passing game as well. And just this morning, the Giants made a, a huge signing, 25 year he's only 25, Adoree Jackson from uh, the Tennessee Titans at cornerback. And, uh, you know, the Giants, I think, are the kind of forgotten team in this division. Uh, and I'm looking right now, and uh, they're listed as over a 4-1 to odds to win that division. And I think there's some real value there because um, everyone's eyes are on the Cowboys and the Washington football team. And um, I don't know. There's something very interesting about that division. Since 2004, talking about 16, 17 years, there has not been a repeat winner of that division. Almost um, impossible mathematically for that to be, but that's the truth. And uh, Washington won that division last year. The Cowboys are listed as the favorite. And I think the Giants at 4-1 to to win that division, um, there, there's some real value there. But we'll, we'll get to the other teams. But uh, what do you, as a Giants fan, do you like that signing of Adoree Jackson? Oh, I think it's tremendous. And, you know, you, you've mentioned Bradbury a number of times last year, and he was a, he was a great signing for this, te- for this team. Jabril Peppers at times played very well for the Giants. The Giants' secondary has gotten better. The Giants' defense overall last year kept them in a lot of games. Um, they, they were a lot better than people expected. A few young, no-name players on this team. But I love the signing of Jackson. And I, I, do, I do agree with you. The Giants, I'm very curious to see you know, how the predictions, when, when, when people start making their uh, year, beginning of the year predictions for who's going to win divisions and, and make the playoffs. And I think Joe Judge has earned the respect of the players. Uh, you know, he's running a system. Look, he, he comes from the Patriot system. He also learned under, under Nick Saban at Alabama. So this is a guy that, that knows what he's doing. He's had a lot of experience coaching and, un, and coaching under, you know, two of the greatest coaches in the history of football uh, and on both the college and the pro side. So, I like everything that's going on here in the signing of Jackson, who's a, who's a young talent. Uh, look, the Giants are spending money here where they need to, and, and they are a better team coming into this season than they were last year, which was almost on the cusp of a playoff position in a, in, in a definitely maligned division. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And also, they have the 11th pick in the draft, and with this quarterback frenzy and teams moving up to try and get a quarterback and the likelihood of, of four quarterbacks um, being gone in the first, you know, six or seven picks, that's going to move value to these other teams that, you know, are going to be picking a quarterback. And a very interesting 
what the Giants are going to do at 11 because I, I think there's a real need to draft a, a defensive player, and I think in, you know that's probably what they would normally do. But who knows what kind of value drops to them at 11 because of um, – uh, of these, you know, the quarterback frenzy in the, in the first round, but uh, I, I think the Giants are going to take, um, you know, a defensive player at eleven. There's a few terrific ones available. We'll get to that as it gets closer to the draft. But uh, yeah, with the with a healthy Barkley, the signing of Galladay, uh, the signing of Dory Jackson to put him opposite Bradbury, a good pick with the eleventh pick. There, there's real value, I think, with the Giants to win that division um, at four to one, considering the vulnerability of uh, the Washington football team and the Cowboys in certain aspects. Yeah, and I think too. Like, I, I would agree. Like, my lean would be to, for the Giants to go defense uh, with that pick, but there are going to be some very talented players. Uh, you know, probably a few linemen, probably a few elite receivers. Now, again, they just signed Kenny Galladay. So, you know, you look at it and you say, well, why would they take a receiver? You know, if there's concerns that, you know, Darius Slayton or Sterling Shepard are not going to be around, you know, after after this this coming year, uh, then then you maybe make a move like that. I, I wouldn't advise it. That's not what I would that's not what I would do if you if you wanted to take you know, a skill, a skill position, I'd probably do it in the later rounds. But I think it's the opportunity for the Giants to, you know, potentially get one of the top three defensive players in this draft at their, at their position pick. Yeah, and let me ask you a question. I know, you, you know, you're a Giants fan, number one. Number two, you just love the player. Um, you know, Slayton, I don't think really, you know, didn't, didn't live up to maybe the, the hype or thoughts of a lot of people of the year he was going to have. So my question to you is now, with Kenny Galladay stepping in and probably getting the attention of the other team's number one cornerback, do you think – that with Slayton sliding to that number two receiver, that's going to give him better opportunities to make some big plays? You know, it's interesting. So if you look at Slayton's statistics um, based on the, the last two years, they were almost exactly the same stats. I think he had 750 yards in each season and almost I think one year 50 catches and one year 48. I, I got to look to see exactly. But, but, but you and a lot of people were expecting Slayton to take a big step. I was. And, and, you know, truthfully, he had eight touchdowns in 2019. Last year, he had three. Now, is that a byproduct of the fact that, you know, there was a lot more attention placed on Slayton, uh, to your point, that the, you, you didn't have somebody else taking away coverage from the player? And I, I don't know. Or, or the entire offense, again, being being impacted by the loss of, 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 of Saquon Barkley and kind of having to do things a little bit differently as a result of that. So I, I don't know. It remains to be seen. What I do know is that Kenny Galladay is going to get number one treatment and Darius Slayton will often will be found uh, in, in one-on-one situations, which, you know, again, in his rookie year was able to be found many times, especially on long plays. I think he led the NFL in plays over 25 yards in his rookie year, uh, which is kind of remarkable for a rookie to do that, but he did. But he's not going to be getting double teamed in any situations. Kenny Galladay is going to be getting that treatment. So I, I think Slayton has you know, kind of quiet upside. And if we look, you know, maybe we draw comparisons to what the Cowboys were able to do with a guy like Michael Gallup in 2019 when he was a 1,000-yard receiver across the ball from 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 uh, Amari Cooper. You know, Cooper was probably getting most of the attention. Michael Gallup was in one-on-one situations most of the time. Is that a, is that a similar comparison? Probably yes. But I, I don't know that the, you can't compare Dak Prescott and Daniel Jones at this moment. But, you know, 
like I said, Jason Garrett has experience working with, with this kind of system, and I, I think it gives some upside given that I think Slayton will come into this year as kind of like a, an afterthought into most fantasy drafts. Well, the only issue, the, the last thing on Slayton that I just find interesting is, uh, there, there, you know, oh, there's always varying reasons why a receiver doesn't do as well. But one, but one stat um, that, you know, just stands out to me is that he only caught 50 passes on 96 targets. That's like only catching half your targets. And, uh, you know, what do you attribute that to? Because it looked to me like from the year before that Slayton and Daniel Jones were the combination that was, you know, he felt most comfortable with and that was going to really improve. I mean, I know the Giants didn't have Daniel Jones for a lot of the games. You know, what, what do you make of the 96 targets on basically only catching half of his targets. Yeah, that's, that's bad. Now, the question is, is that on the, on the route runner or is that on the quarterback? And I'd have to actually look at all 96 of those attempts and to see kind of what happened, which would be probably a nice thing to do from a, from a video standpoint, to actually look at, at, you know, were they contested? Was he double teamed? Were they, were they off throws by, by Daniel Jones? Was it a lot of times, and, and you know, sometimes when you look at a, a wide receiver stats, a lot of times, you know, probably 10 of those targets were probably throwaway balls that Daniel Jones was throwing the ball away or something, and, you know, he was the closest receiver. So I'd actually like to take a close look at that, but I'm sure there's a number of reasons to blame, not to say that Slayton's not part of it but I'm sure I'm sure Daniel Jones is equally responsible for that for that uh inefficiency when it came to throwing him the ball his way yeah and you know we'll move move on to you know the other teams but I I will say that Darius Lane is an interesting player to me this year just because I think he could excel as the number two wide receiver maybe being like the guy that defenses are not paying that much attention to, and I, I think he can make some uh, some big, big plays. So he's a guy I will we'll certainly get into all of this as it gets closer, but he, he's a guy that I'm keeping my eye on, and I know you are as well. Yeah, absolutely. So so I would say, you know, when, when looking at the rest of the NFC at this point in time, NFC East at this point in time, my, my true feeling, this is my opinion right now, uh, you know, I'm expecting Ryan Fitzpatrick to win that quarterback job uh, for the Washington football team. But I think when you take the combination of what Washington has on defense, <clears throat> you add a player who I'm extremely high on just based on how he finished the season and just the familiarity with the system in, in, in Curtis Samuel. Uh, you have a tight, you had a tight end that came on strong last year in Logan Thomas. I think you got a running game with, with, with between um, uh, uh, Antonio Gibson, who, who really was learning the position on the fly last year, got better as the season went on. J.D. McKissick was a definite weapon out of that backfield. Um, I think the Washington football team, if you would ask me right here, right now, because I think the rest of the Dallas Cowboy roster outside of their offense is very compromised. Now, from a fantasy perspective, that will probably be pretty good for the passing game, but I think they're going to give up a hell of a lot of points because their defense is not very good. But I look at right now, if you ask me my opinion, who is the favorite in the in the AFC East right now, I'm going with the Washington football team, even with the new quarterback, but I think Ryan Fitzpatrick – just as that lightning rod for teammates and, and a leader. And I just I just see that as the most positive situation, and especially given that the defense that Washington football team has. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything you said makes sense, you know, considering if a team has a, a terrific defense, they have a couple of good young players on offense, and then you add a veteran quarterback who played well 
and a wide receiver who was probably in the second half of the season one of the top 10 fantasy wide receiver producers in the entire NFL to that roster. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to like about that. Um, certain, the I'm just a little, I'm just thinking about the durability. I'm just worried about like the Gibsons who was, you know, banged up, had his moments, came back, you know, was, you know, the durability of the running backs. Uh, none of them are physically big guys. I mean, Peyton Barber can get you the tough yards, and he's he's a he's a good short yardage runner. But you know, the the, the durability of Gibson and McKissick, they have to keep those players on the field and healthy. But if so, and if Fitzpatrick plays um, as well as he did last year, I I, I agree with that. And. Uh, Terry McLaurin is just one of these guys who's just a budding star, and he just has had terrible quarterback play these last couple of years. You know, inconsistency at the quarterback position, several guys throwing him the ball, poor play, and now, you know, if he could get uh, some good quarterback play out of Ryan Fitzpatrick, Terry McLaurin is really fantasy relevant at the wide receiver position this year. Yeah, no question. Now, now, do you think, am I jumping the gun here and you're suggesting that Ryan Fitzpatrick automatically comes in here and takes the job? We know with Tyler Henneke almost almost beating the Super Bowl champs and Tom Brady in that playoff game, d- does he have a chance to win this quarterback job? They also did, um, the, uh, Kyle Allen was also re-signed, so, so they are three quarterbacks deep right now, but but at this point in time, we expect Heineke to be number two to, to Ryan Fitzpatrick. But is there a chance that Heineke just comes in and actually wows you, um, you know, and, and actually wins that quarterback job? I, I don't think so, because I, I think what they ideally want to do is they feel they have a championship-type defense. They want to be able to score points, <clears throat> have a quarterback in there that could lead them to the playoffs and win games in the playoffs. And while that's occurring, having Tyler Henneke to sit there and really learn from Ryan Fitzpatrick, and if he has to make a spot start or if something happens and Fitz magic turns into, you know, Fitz, you know, if it's tragic and Henneke has to come in there, they'll do that. But I'm pretty confident that they're going to start the season with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and uh, they realize that they their defense is good enough to not only make the playoffs, but to win playoff games. So I would be extremely surprised if Ryan Fitzpatrick was not only you know the starter, but I'm I'm pretty sure he was probably told, look, the you know you're going to be the starter because the guy was basically all set to retire. So I doubt he's coming back with a quarterback competition or a chance that he's not going to be the starter. All right, so now, now now let's talk about the Cowboys because now now we look at a situation where Dak is finally you know going to get paid, uh, but the rest of this roster outside of their offensive talent you know it, it is something in question at the moment. So uh, and the Cowboys haven't you know really done anything in a long 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 time in terms of making any noise in terms of being a playoff team and making a run for the Super Bowl or, or anything like that. And Mike McCarthy was under a lot of scrutiny in in his first year as a coach. At times you know may, maybe you could. You can consider that he lost, you know, the roster at times. There was some whispers around that. Um, it, it, are the Dallas Cowboys going to be overhyped as a as a football team coming into this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, they they're listed as the kind of prohibitive favorites to win the NFC East, and I I don't see that. I mean, 
Um, uh, are there skilled players on offense, the best in the division? Certainly. They have three dynamic receivers. Um, they have a, a terrific quarterback. Um, you know, the combination of Elliott and Pollard, terrific at running back. But, and this is a big but, <laughs> their offensive line is not the same. It's older. It's hurt. It's banged up. It doesn't make it. They don't make it through the season. And their defense, you can't just look the other way about what their defense did last year and think they're a prohibitive favorite. I don't see that. I see. I don't agree with the odds on the division where the Cowboys are a big favorite, then the Washington football team, and then the Giants. I have those three teams very, very closely bunched together. Now, if someone wanted to make a case where they felt Washington is the slight favorite because of this, I could see it. If someone said, well, Dallas's offense is so far ahead of the other offenses, I could see it. But overall, team-wise, offense, defense, special teams, I see those three teams bunched together and a fairly big gap back to the Eagles. So um, I think they're one of the contenders, but... Um, I don't I don't see them as a, a team that should be considered a big favorite to win the NFC East. All right, so the one the one team we haven't brought up yet is the Philadelphia Eagles. We know Carson Wentz has moved on. Uh, Jalen Hurts is in tow at the moment as a starting quarterback, though you know you are speculating that there is a chance that the Eagles could still take a quarterback with their number one pick. Um, Alshon Jeffrey is gone. This is a team that's drafted J.J. Uh, mm. uh, Arcega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf back in 2019. Last year, they took Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, much to your delight. Um, and the Eagles kind of come in here, new coach, inexperienced head coach, with probably the most question marks around a roster, uh, You know, a team not not removed from a Super Bowl championship many years, uh, but a team that looks like it's going to take a long time to return to being a, a playoff team or even a contender. So let, let's start from the top. Jalen Hurts, your opinion there. Uh, we know that they have a running back in Miles Sanders, Boston Scott backing him up. There's some young receivers here. Uh, but on paper, and, and we know that it looks like uh, Zach Hurts is going to move on and that Dallas Goddard will be the starting tight end. But the Eagles look like they're going to be the kind of, the without a doubt, to me, the afterthought, probably the last place finisher in this division by most prognostications coming into the upcoming football season. Yeah, I mean, based on what it's going to look like, um, I just feel that the Eagles have to go about this one of two ways. They're picking six. If they have a quarterback on their draft board that they think is a franchise quarterback, if they think they have uh, Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen potentially on their hands, no one's going to be Pat Mahomes, really, but, you know, of that ilk. If a player that they, they feel can be a franchise quarterback, I think they have to take that quarterback. That being said, I think there's no chance that they're going to take a quarterback. I think that the Eagles are going to treat Jalen Hurts this year like – a pitcher who's starting a ball game and the last five games, every game has gone 20 innings and the bullpen is completely finished and you're out there for the good, the bad, the, the ugly. It doesn't matter if you give up the 20 runs in the first inning, you're staying out there. And I think that's what they're going to do with Jalen Hurts. I just think they're going to draft a receiver 
with that six pick. And then they're going to put Hertz out there and say, look, you know, we're not quite sure what we have. People in our building feel differently about him. And we're just going to take a year and just see what we have in Jalen Hurts. And if he, if we like what we see, we got our quarterback. If we don't, then we're most likely going to be picking in the top three or five next year, and we're going to take a quarterback. That's what I think they're going to do. I think they're resigned to doing that, and they're going to leave Hurts out there for for the whole season, no matter what, um, just to see you know what they have and to prove a point either way. But you know, I saw the owner make some comments that we're not going to give competition to Jalen Hurts this year. I think that's the wrong way about going about it. If there are people in your building that know what they're doing who feel that one of those quarterbacks, a Trey Lance or whatever, uh, as an example, can be a, a quarterback that can lead our franchise to Super Bowls over the next 10 years, you have to take that player. But I just think they're resigned to not. And I think um, – it's going to be a difficult year for the Eagles. Yeah, and they just they have holes everywhere. There are a lot of young, a lot of young players uh, at the offensive skill positions. Uh, you know, Rager had a couple of good games with, with Jalen Hurts late in the season, but you know, this is a player that didn't wasn't able to stay on the field. He's a little diminutive as well. Uh, they have John Hightower, Travis Fulgham, who was like kind of the darling. Remember, he started out so red hot to start the season, and he did a complete Houdini, Houdini act in the second half. We we never we never heard from him in the second half of the season last year. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens here. And obviously, Dallas Goddard, um, if in fact the Zach Ertz trade does happen, uh, and we think it will, you know, without question, you know, walks into this season as, as probably a, a top, I guess, top seven tight end for the upcoming uh, fantasy season. Yeah, I think I think Dallas Goddard takes over Zach Ertz's job, not only as the Eagles tight end, but in fantasy as well as probably a top five tight end. Uh if it's all him. Um yeah, I think he's a I think he's a top five tight end prospect as far as fantasy um, you know, football goes a tight end. <clears throat> Certainly, but I, I agree. I think like <clears throat> You got to just, if you're drafting a wide receiver, that's fine. Put Rieger, the guy you draft, and Travis Fulgham out there. Go. Play with Hurts. See what you could do. See what you have. Let them play. You're not going to win the division. You're going to be poor this year. But see what those young players could do. I just don't like what happened with Rieger. I don't like what happened with Ruggs on the Raiders. Like, like you draft these players so early. You took them with your valuable first-round picks Go and let these guys play. Let them do what they do. And, uh, uh, you know, if the Eagles thinking is we're going hurts and we want to see what we have with them, that's fine. But go out there. You don't have Alshon Jeffrey anymore. You don't have Deshaun Jackson anymore. Play these young guys at wide receiver. And if you take your lumps, you take your lumps. But it's a year of growth and, uh, and, see, and see how these guys produce. Yeah, it make, makes perfect sense, and I think you know that, that pro- probably logic will prevail in this instance, and and the Eagles uh, will will have to work on rebuilding themselves at this point in time. All right, good yeah, stuff. There's no question about that. All right, was uh, good discussion on the NFC East. Uh, you know, we're going to keep coming at you guys a few times a week uh, as things evolve. There are still some players out there that haven't been re-signed. We'll be you know closely monitoring all these kind of situations. But you know, just know that Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, we will continue to do these updates. And uh, and and now we start to kind of focus on what happens uh, for the draft. And I know. Uh, 
Now, you, you are definitely a, a huge draft fan. Uh, we just saw announced yesterday that there will be some fans in attendance this year. Uh, and if you think about what happened last year, how the NFL pulled it off, it was remarkable. But, but it'll be nice to get some fans uh, b- back in the stands and, and watching the draft, which has become such a preeminent event for the NFL. Yeah, and for those people that love the draft and uh, will be listening to this podcast, uh, make sure you uh, turn on the NFL Network uh, at 12 o'clock today. Alabama's having their pro day, and uh, it's very rare where you see a college team have their pro day where you have three players uh, at the skill position on offense that are going to be taking most likely in the top 15 picks. So uh, check out um, Waddle, Devontae Smith, and uh, Mac Jones as well uh, on uh, the NFL Network with Alabama's pro day today. All right, that's awesome. We know our boy McKenna will be front and center. He'll have his popcorn. Uh, actually, he'll probably be eating lunch at that time. Hopefully, he can uh, work around that schedule, but he'll be watching that with bated breath. <laughs> you got it. Uh, all right, Wiz, uh, have a good rest of the day. Again, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, good time talking about the NFC East, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, Wiz. You do the same. <laughs>